Thanks for joining us today at the Christian Faith Center Sermon Podcast. At CFC, we live to worship God, we love to serve people, and we value community. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our pastors. A minister's sermon on a particular Sunday was considerably longer than normal. However, it was so well prepared and inspiring that he just knew it would be a big hit with the congregation. At the end of service, he stood shaking hands with all the people as, as, they were, as they exited. And one man paused and said, Preacher, your sermon was so invigorating and inspiring and refreshing. As the minister broke out with a big smile, the man completed his comment by saying, Why, I felt like a new man when I woke up. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Please don't tell me that as you leave this morning. But if you have your Bible, can you open up to John chapter 2, please? John chapter 2. This is part four in my series titled New. We started a couple months ago about have you know, God wants us to have a new start, a fresh start, a new beginning. And then after we get that new start, that, that new walk then begins to take place. And as you're going through life and going through the things that God, you know, wants to take you from and from each thing, you know, Isaiah says, don't remember the former things nor consider the things of old, but behold, I will do a new thing. And so we studied that a lot from Isaiah. And then last Sunday, we talked about the new growth that Jesus wants to have in us. We looked at John 15, where he says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll bear much fruit, for without me, you can do nothing. And last week, I was very, very... Um, into studying about grapes and how grapes grow and vineyards. And, you know, there's a lot of parallels with seeing and studying the physical growth of grapes, of fruit, and how we should be growing as Christians. And so today's message is titled New Wine. Today is New Wine. And wine is used throughout a a lot of scripture. You see wine in in ceremonies. You see it in, in the Last Supper. You see it um, in Scripture, used as a disinfectant to clean wounds. You see it as a, a symbol of honor at a wedding. And that's where we're going to look and start this morning is in John chapter 2. And see, in John chapter 2, Mary and Jesus and the disciples were invited to a wedding in Cana, and they run out of wine. And it's not like the party was going to stop. It was just going to be a huge uh, embarrassment for the people hosting the party if they didn't have this anymore. And so Mary knows this, and so then Mary looks at Jesus, and she says, they're out of wine. And Jesus tells her, my hour hasn't come yet. And Mary ignores that response and then looks at the servants and says, do whatever he tells you to do. And so then Jesus then tells the servants, okay, get the jars, right, fill them with water, and then go bring it to the head of this party. And so look in verse 9. This is where we're going to start today. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn it knew, the master of the feast called to the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, I know this is a story that we've seen many times. We've studied this before. We've looked at this. We know that this is the first miracle that Jesus performed. Uh, It's not that he was a party animal and liked to have a lot of wine on hand, right? The goal was to save this family from great embarrassment. And we know, and this is so important, every time I do a wedding, I always share this, that because Jesus was an invited guest at the wedding of Cana of Galilee, 
a miracle took place. And, and we know that. And the wedding ceremonies that I do, I always say that because Jesus is an invited guest at the wedding ceremonies, a miracle takes place. And at that moment, two people become one when they get married. Now, that's so important. It's so significant. But there was a miracle that took place here, that, that Jesus took something that was common, something that was ordinary, water, and turned it into something extraordinary. He turned it into wine, but not just wine. It's rec recorded as good wine. See, and that's a parallel for our lives. You know, we don't, sometimes we feel like we're just ordinary, run-of-the-mill, just going through life. There's, there's no, no significance in us, but God wants us to realize that we are not just ordinary. He wants to make us extraordinary, that he wants to change us from something that is common to something that is very, very good, something that brings honor to the master, and that he wants to make you and I that new wine. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you again in Jesus' name, and Lord, I know that you have a word for all of us today, Father, a word that's going to change us, a word that might challenge us, but a word that's going to further us in the gospel of the kingdom, Father. And we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, Lord. We ask that you prepare our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us today, Lord, and we pray for no distractions. We pray for clarity. We pray for focus as we study your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the message again is titled today, New wine. And so we're going to start by looking at the importance of the new wine skin. The new wine skin. A wine skin is what would hold the wine back then. So if you have your Bibles, again, turn to Luke chapter 5, please. The wine skin, the thing that holds the wine. Wine skins were actually uh, goat skins that were sewn together and made like a watertight membrane. And so, you know, I've, I've been studying grapes a lot, and I think I'm going to grow a vineyard in the summertime. I hear it takes like three to four years for like the plants to actually grow and develop, and I'll wait, it's fine. But then after studying about wine, I think I'm going to take the grapes that I'm growing, and then maybe I'll start making my own wine. What do you think? Jersey Boy wine? I promised I washed my feet wine? Luke chapter 5, verse 36 here. This is the parable that Jesus talks about, again, this, the new wineskins that he wants us to have. And so look in verse 36. He spoke a parable to them. He says, no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst, the wineskin and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. Now, you think about this. Why is Jesus talking about this? Well, he, every one of his parables that he shares, it's for the group that he's speaking to. So there was significance here. Everyone drank wine. It was very common. Sometimes the wine or the alcohol was safer to drink than the water. So that's why it was very common. And so he knows that if they're making wine and they're traveling with it, they have to carry it with them. The new wine needs to be in a new wineskin. Because what happens is as it's developing, as it's growing, uh, it's fermenting, there's gas that's building, the, the wineskin has to expand because that's what he says here. Look at the next verse. But new wine must be poured into new wineskins and both are preserved. Now, why is it that new wine needs to be poured into a new wineskin? Because the container for the wine has to be pliable. It has to be able to grow. It has to be able to expand. It has to be able to that as, as it builds, as the pressure builds, it grows and doesn't burst. See, if you pour the new wine into an old wineskin, it's already grown past its limit. It's going to keep expanding and then burst. The wineskin then becomes useless. The wine pours out and, again, is useless as well. 
So what is this new wine that we're studying here today? There's actually two things that we're going to look at this morning. What is the new wine? First, the new wine starts with the relationship with Jesus. The new wine, and specifically this is what Jesus was addressing here to these, these religious people. He was, he was sharing this to them. He was saying, listen, that religion will not lead to relationship. Only Jesus can. Right? We know that. That religion will not lead to relationship. Only Jesus can lead us to a relationship with the Father. Religion can never do that. And he's, pour, he's showing them this example that, listen, you have to pour, you have to empty everything out that was inside of you. I'm, I'm, I've given you permission to, to let go of the sin, to let go of the, the separation, to, to be right with God because of what you're trying to do. He goes, you, none of that will work out. What will work is allowing me to fill you up with what I have. That's the new wine that starts with the relationship with Jesus. And also then after we become born again, the new wine is us renewing our minds. That revelation that we get from the Holy Spirit, the more that we spend time with him, the more that we talk to him, the more that we pray, that, that new wine is us renewing our mind. And that's why it says this in 2 Peter 1.3. It says, his divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. See, it's our relationship with the Holy Spirit that gives us this new revelation, this new knowledge. It's his divine power that he has given. He's not giving you more of his power the more you have a relationship with him. Once you commit your life to Jesus, he has given you everything we need for a godly life. Now, how does that come and manifest? It comes through our knowledge of him who called us. See that? It's our knowledge of Jesus that makes the power that he's given us be relevant and come to the top. See, you can be born again, and so many times, it's, it, it, this is what happens. We, some people get born again, they get filled with the Holy Spirit, and they well, there's, well, nothing changed. Well, because we have to renew our mind. We have to dig into the Word. I have to see what is the knowledge that I'm going to receive from the Holy Spirit as I study the Word of God, as I come to church, as I pray, as I dig into the Word, because then His power will be revealed to me by the knowledge that I find in His Word. You get nutrients... Not by putting a piece of meat in your mouth and just letting it sit there. You get the nutrients by chewing on it, right? Chew it, you swallow it, you digest it, it goes through, right? That's how your body absorbs it. When you eat it, you chew on it, you, man, you just gnaw, right? That's what we do with the word. We, we, we get it, we chew on it, and then we get the nutrients from it. Just putting the meat in your mouth isn't going to give you all the benefits of it, right? You got to chew on the word because his power in us through the Holy Spirit, gets revealed by his word. And that's how God wants us to operate. He doesn't want us just to kind of go through life hoping things are okay. He's like, no, I've given you my power. It's in you. It's through the Holy Spirit. It's revealed by the word of God. Now go operate in it. Look back to this verse. Jesus says, verse 39 here. It says, and no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. Now, when I read this, I, I, really, I really was challenged by this verse studying this week, preparing this, letting the Holy Spirit speak to me. And I came to verse 39. I'm like, Lord, what does this mean? And, and no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. I'm like, but, but Lord, that doesn't make sense. The new is so good. What you're offering is so good. Why would someone not want the new that you offer? Because it's hard to kick old habits. Isn't it hard to kick old habits? Isn't it hard to change what you're comfortable doing, Right? Isn't it hard to try a new place to eat? Come on. 
Anyone with me here? How many, favorites, how many favorite places do you have to eat? I have two. Diner by my house, pizzeria down the street. Those are my faves, okay? You want to bring me someplace new? Not going to lie, I'm a little skeptical at first, right? Because I don't want to waste money on a meal I'm not going to thoroughly enjoy. I know if I go to that diner, if I go to that pizzeria, I'm going to thoroughly enjoy the meal. Why? Because the old tastes better than the new. Now, it doesn't mean that I can't go to new places, but don't, aren't, don't you get the same way? Don't you feel the same way? It's like, I'm not going to go to a place unless I know it's going to be good. You got a good reference? Good. Give me three more references about the restaurant. I want to check the Yelp reviews, right? I want to know that the new is going to be good. And what, what, I, what I got from the Holy Spirit when this is that the, the, the people that Jesus is talking to were so comfortable with their old that they wanted the old and not the new, Right? They were so comfortable with the old way of doing things, they did not want the new. But can I tell you what? The new is way better. The new with Jesus is always way better. The things that we try to do on our own will always fail. You can try doing it on your own, but without Jesus, you're never going to be complete. See, my generation, it's sad. I'm part of a generation that we call, we're called millennials, right? That, that most millennials don't view the value of attending church regularly. They, they don't. About two-thirds of it, they don't attend church and what's on our minds today as a millennial, the first thing that studies that the, the Pew Research uh, program did is uh, we're, we're focused, my generation is focused on work and debt. Work and debt. How much work that they have to do over stressing about the work that they do, the debt that they're incurring from student loans, from colleges. And, and so one of the excuses of why we don't go to church is because, well, I don't have time, I gotta work. I can't give because I have too much debt, so I can't give because I don't have anything else to give. Or it's relationships and family. Sometimes they, they, they feel like, well, you know what? I, I want to have a relationship, but I can't find the right person. So you know what? I'm not going to waste time doing that. I got to go do this. Or I don't, I'm working so much, I don't have time for a relationship. And it's like this vicious cycle. My generation's busier than ever and more lonely than ever. That's what the research shows. That my generation is busier than ever and more lonely than ever. My generation is trying to find their way. They're trying to seek truth. They're trying to make a life for themselves. And, and, and if we don't have Jesus as the center of that, as him being our new wine, we're never going to find the truth. We're never going to find our way. We're never going to make a life that's worth making. But with Jesus, we can do all those things. See, the religious leaders at the time were saying, listen, serve us, right? Come to us. We will teach you how to serve God. And Jesus is saying, I'm God. I'll serve you. They, see, the old wine versus the new wine, they didn't like that. That was different. They, they liked the taste of their old wine better. They, they were so used to saying, well, you're a sinner. Well, we're, you're unclean. You can't touch us. Jesus is saying, oh, you're a sinner. I'm going to have dinner with you. You have to keep the law to please God, is what the old religious leaders would say. And Jesus is saying, you know, receive the free gift of grace that I'm offering to you to please God. Just receive this gift. It's free. I'm giving it to you. Just accept it. The religious leader said, bring your sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, the temporary covering of sins for the lamb or a goat. You bring that, you sacrifice it at the altar, your sins will be temporarily forgiven. And Jesus says, I'll be your sacrifice for forgiveness of sins. Come to me. Bring yourself to me. See, that's the difference between the new wine and the old wine. The religious leaders, they were so focused on the old wine and the old wineskins that, that Jesus knew that they did not have the capacity for this. And so he, he tells them this. He tells them that this is how it needs to work. The, the gospel was not going to fit in their Old Testament thinking, their old wineskin thinking. It wasn't going to work. He was essentially saying, listen, you need a whole new heart. You need a whole new container to hold what I'm trying to pour into you. We can't 
put new wine into an old wineskin. We can't mix the new wine of Jesus with our old wineskin of our old ways of thinking. Well, I did it this way so many years. I've, I've been on my own for so long. Yes, I know I, want, I need a relationship with Jesus, but I'm going to kind of keep him at arm's length. It's not going to work out. Well, you know, God will forgive me, so it's okay if I do this thing. That's not going to work out. I shouldn't feel this way, but you know what? It's just how I am. No, that's not going to work out. That's old, old thinking and a new, that God wants you to change your thinking. He wants you to be that new wineskin, that as he pours the wine into you, it's going to grow and expand with you, that you're going to keep it, that you're going to retain it, because we need to have this new wineskin thinking. That's what Jesus wants. He wants us to have a new wineskin mentality because he wants to pour in us something new, but we have to be pliable. We have to be flexible. We have to get rid of the old way of thinking to allow for the new to stay within our hearts. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 36, please. You and I are temples of the Holy Spirit. We're the house of the Holy Spirit. We are Holy Spirit houses, you and I. We have the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of us. Not some second-rate, cut-rate, second-class version, the capital T, capital H, capital S, the Holy Spirit inside of us. See, I know God has forgiven me and will always forgive me, so I'm not taking that lightly. I'm, not, I'm going to choose not to sin because I know I've been forgiven. See, when you, when you feel some way you shouldn't, you remind yourself, well, that's how I was. That's not how I am. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Well, that's the temper I had. I don't have that temper anymore because now I have the peace that passes understanding. That I'm filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The fruit now that I'm bearing is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I'm planted, I'm rooted, and I'm going to be fruited, right? That's how we are now. That's, not, that's new wineskin thinking. If you're so stuck in the ways that you were, the old habits, you're so wrapped up in your old emotions, it's, it, you're, you're not going to be that new wine that Jesus, that new wineskin he wants us to be. Say, I'm a new wineskin. God, say, I'm a new wineskin. Prepared for new wine. Now, they'll turn to the person next and say, you're a new wineskin. Prepared for new wine. Yeah. I'm glad half of you believe that as you said it. The other half are like, oh, you're a new wineskin. Prepared for new wine. I'm not going to fill the new life that Jesus has provided me and try to store it in an old sack. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to try to hold on to what Jesus wants to do into an old way of thinking. So he wants us to be flexible, pliable, and that's what we're reading here in Ezekiel, about having a new heart. He says in verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. What was the issue that we see here in Ezekiel and back in Luke about you know, the old wineskins and the heart here, the heart of stone and old wineskins? They're not pliable. They lack pliability. They lack the ability to expand. They lack the, the ability to have any room for growth. No growth, no way for roots to expand, no, no way for the fermentation to take place. And Ezekiel was one of the Old Testament prophets that emphasized the importance of the role of the Holy Spirit more than anyone else because he knew it was only going to be God's Spirit in us that would cause lasting change. 
It's only God's Spirit in us that causes lasting change. And that's why when he says a new heart, a heart of flesh, that's what we know today as being born again. That's what it means. When we're born again, like Jesus said, you must be born again. Nicodemus is like, what, going back to my mom? And he's like, no, you've got to be born again in spirit, water. You've got to be born again. You've got to have a new heart. Because without the new heart, it's hard to receive the new wine. Because if I'm so stuck, listen, if you have a, a sin-mindedness mentality, right? If you're so sin-focused, it's impossible to receive grace if you're so sin-focused. Because then you feel like you have to do something to earn it. And that's the opposite of what the grace of God is. You can't do anything to earn it. It is unmerited. It is undeserved, but freely given. You receive it. It changes your life. You think differently because of it. You don't try to think differently to merit having received it. That's not how it works. It's a free gift. You grab it. You accept it. And then it changes your life. You prepare for the new wine of the gospel of Jesus Christ by softening our hearts, by being that new wineskin. You prepare for the fresh thing that God wants to do by being soft and pliable in his hand, giving him room to grow and expand us and be, be the new wineskin for the new wine. Now, interestingly enough, you know, there is a logical progression, if you're seeing it, between last Sunday's message and today. We studied last Sunday about new growth. We studied about how grapes are grown and how vineyards are made and kept and maintained. And ultimately, the goal of the vineyard is to produce what? It's to produce wine. But that process of going from vineyard to, to the glass, right, from, from vineyard to wine glass or from the, the vine to the glass, right, all of those things, it, it comes through a process of getting pressed. And, and so when we're, when we're going through life and we're, we're doing and we're following the things of God, don't stress when you're pressed. Don't stress when you're pressed. It, it, sometimes it's part of what happens. Turn to Mark chapter 5. Turn to Mark chapter 5. Grapevine to a glass of wine needs pressing, right? From the grapes to the glass, it's the pressing. And there's one scripture, there's one passage in scripture where we see clearly labeled that Jesus was being pressed. In Mark chapter 5, we're going to look at Mark's account of this. Mark chapter 5. This is the one account where we see here about Jesus being pressed. And really it's because he, he, he's walking through a crowd and now people see him and they know about the miracles that he's doing, and so they all want to follow him. They all want to see him. So here in Mark chapter 5, verse 24, so Jesus went with him, and great multitudes followed and thronged or pressed him. So now he's walking through the crowds, and so the multitudes are following him. They're, they're pressing on Jesus, which means if they're pressing on Jesus, they're, they're pressing on each other, pressing on Jesus, right? So we can kind of see this, and if you've seen any, any biblical movies when, Jesus, when this is happening and they give the depiction of it, it's Jesus with the disciples, and people are just pressing in on him, right? And so then verse 25 says, well, then now a certain woman. Well, now there's someone specific that comes into the story, and we know this is the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years, that she's had this ailment, and now she sees Jesus, and she knows that he is the only thing that can cure her of what she's been dealing with for 12 years, and so what happens is she presses through the crowd that's pressing to grab the bottom of Jesus' robe, right? To then, the, the scripture records Jesus says, who touched me because virtue left. And look at verse 31. The disciples respond. They say, you see the multitudes thronging or pressing you, and you say, who touched me? Because there was one person that pressed that made an impact on Jesus. There was one person who had faith 
that after she pressed, something miraculous took place. The woman with the issue of blood, her fruit that she had been growing as she's been hearing about Jesus more and more was this fruit of faith, this fruit of hope, that after she pressed through the crowds, she pressed through the people, she pressed and she touched the fruit that she had, the faith and hope was pressed and turned into the wine of healing because she pressed on. See, don't be stressed when you're pressed. There's things in life that we go through that are going to, be, that are going to have a good product at the end. Don't stress when you're pressed. Know that, that, you can, that God can take something that's uncomfortable, something that's hard, something that's challenging, and make something beautiful with it in the end. You know, this is what James talks about as the testing of our faith in 1 James chapter 2. He says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the, the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, this is a passage of Scripture that some people can misconstrue here, but this is what it says. It says, testing of your faith produces patience, right? Testing or, or that pressing will produce something. The testing of your faith. See, God will not tempt us to sin because if you jump down to verse 13, that's what it says. He will not tempt us, which means he will not lead us into a situation where the outcome will be sin or something that causes separation. But our faith will be tested. Nick, that sounds as like God's tempting. No, it's how do you get from one step to the next step? How do you, okay, how do you graduate in math class? What do you need? A test. How, how do you get from addition and subtraction to multiplication? There's a test, right? You go from addition to subtraction, you pass that test, you, you show what you know, you retain it, and then something challenging comes along. Because ultimately, they want to confuse the heck out of you in math class, then start throwing letters in there, start throwing some shapes in there. The numbers at a regular size aren't enough, they're going to make them smaller and put them next to the letters, because why would we make math easy, right? But how do you go from this to that? There are tests that take place. The tests are not to trip you up. The tests are to show you, okay, I'm good. I know this. Good. Something else comes along now. Oh, I remember I retained what I learned back here, so now I'm going to take that with me as I keep going and going and going and going. How do you lift weights? How do you get as buff as your pastor here on stage, right? Just kidding. But how do you, how do you build your muscle? You grab two pounds. You lift two pounds. When two pounds gets easy, you put it down, you go over here, you grab 10 pounds. You start grabbing 10 pounds. Now, when that's easy, you put it back, you grab the big boys, right? You grab 15. Now, you start pumping 15, and what happens? Your muscles are developing because our faith will get tested. The reason why our faith will get tested is so that we get more confident in who he is and less confident in who we think we are. Because God doesn't want us to be spiritual babies all of our life. He wants us to grow and mature into the full stature of Jesus Christ. We can't do that if I am not pushing myself and how I trust and rely on God. He doesn't want me to have an understanding of faith that's this big. He wants me to have an understanding of faith that is gigantic. That comes through testing. That comes through that. Because that testing of my faith will produce something. The pressing that we go through in this life will produce something. See, when you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, he'll give you that hope. He'll give you that encouragement to let you keep going, to help you to keep going so that as you feel pressed, you'll know, oh, there's light at the end of the tunnel. I see the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's going to help lead you to get to that point. That's why our relationship with the Holy Spirit is so important. That's why we read a verse like 2 Corinthians 3.17. He says, now the Spirit, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 
which means emancipation from bondage and true freedom. See, when you're pressed, you feel like you have no escape. There's no way out. You feel like you got nowhere to go. But in the spirit, you have liberty. In the spirit, you have freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, true freedom. So you might feel pressed, but you know that there's freedom coming. And verse 18, and we all with unveiled face continually seeing as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are progressively being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to even more glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So your relationship, my relationship with the Holy Spirit is so important. It's that relationship that's going to get me through the times that I'm pressed so that I could see that the fruit that I've been growing, if it gets pressed, it's going to produce new wine for him. This, is, this has been me this past month. It's been a lot of pressing for me, a lot of things going on that, that, are, that it's all in God's hands, but I have to know to let go and let God handle it. And sure enough, it happens where, where, where some, a situation comes up and I want to respond the natural way I want to respond, and then, then, I, then I recollect myself, I remind myself of what's in the Spirit, what's in the Word of God, and then when that situation comes back up again, which it did, I wanted to react the same way, but I stopped myself. Because why? I remembered what happened before. I passed that test of faith. I'm going to pass this test of faith as well. See, we go from glory to glory. You, you and I, we are going from, from one degree of glory to even more glory. Don't be stressed when you're pressed. Just realize that God's going to use this to take you from one degree of glory to another, that you're going to build your understanding of your faith. You're going to come out stronger than you went into it and give God the glory the entire way. You're going to realize he's the fourth in the fire, right? You're going to be in the fire. You're going to come out unburned, not even smelling like spoke. The things that bound you are going to be gone, and you're going to be walking around free. You're surrounded by fire. You're not going to smell like smoke. You're not going to get burned. He's the fourth in the fire with you, amen? Here's something else that's really important, too. See, the new wine heals us. The new wine that Jesus has for us heals us. Turn to Luke chapter 10, please. Luke chapter 10. The wine, the new wine, the wine that he has for us, it heals us. Luke chapter 10, verse 30, we're going to start in. Jumping into verse 30, what are we jumping into here? Right before verse 30, a lawyer asks Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, what does the law say? And then he says this, well, what's, what's your reading of the law? Because it could say one thing, but your interpretation of it could be something different. So he asks him, well, what does your law say? And what's your reading of the law? And the man replies, right? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then he says, and love your neighbor. And Jesus says, you are absolutely right. But then this man comes back, and then he goes, well, then who is my neighbor? Look at verse 30. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where he was and saw him, and he had compassion. So he went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, he gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. 
Jesus says, so which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said again, go and do likewise. See, the, the importance of this parable was Jesus was saying, you have to be kind to everyone. This, this lawyer was trying to find an out and saying, well, uh, who's my neighbor? Can I pick who my neighbor is? Can I pick who I'm nice to? Can I pick who I choose to love? And Jesus is saying, no, you can't. See, like for us as Christians, we can't choose who our neighbor is. We have to be kind to everyone. We have to be kind and show the love of Jesus to those that hate us, that try to use us, that despitefully use us. We have to show them love. We can't pick and choose and say, I'll be a neighbor to you. I'm not going to be a neighbor to you because that's not what Jesus said. The Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. We know this, right? They, they were at opposite ends. The Jews viewed Samaritans as like half-breeds because they were sort of brought up with the Jewish traditions, but then, then didn't really keep them and kind of kept half of them, so they looked down on them. So for Jesus to say it was a Samaritan that helped, this, this Jewish lawyer is probably like, yeah, okay, right? Because that would have never happened, but that's exactly what it was. And so this is an important parable for many reasons, right? About how we need to show compassion to everyone. That's the point of the parable. That's why Jesus was saying it. But think for a moment about the Samaritan. He's on a long journey through rough terrain. The road from Jericho to Jerusalem is about 17 miles, and it changes in elevation about 3,000 feet. So you're climbing up and down, and there's lots of steep cliffs, and there's, there's, there's lots of places where robbers could hide and jump out and attack people. It was, very, it was called the blood road for that reason. It was known to be a very dangerous road to travel on. That's why Jesus makes, mentions this road. It's, it's something people knew very well about. So think about the Samaritan on a long journey through rough terrain, walking through hills and valleys with no relief from the sun, exposed to the dangers of thieves and robbers. Doesn't that kind of sound like the world that we live in? Long journey, hills and valleys, there's danger all around you. You feel like you're exposed to all the elements that are around you. But realize that you don't have a good Samaritan, that you and I have a good shepherd that the good shepherd saw us on the side of the road and didn't walk past us. He laid down his life. See, why would those people walk right past him? Because they, maybe, maybe they were going to be next, right? This priest and this Levite walking by, see this man on the road, they're like, oh, robbers got to him. I'm just going to keep going so the robbers don't get to me. Maybe they were afraid. Maybe they just didn't want to touch him because if he was dead, he would have been unclean. Maybe they just didn't want to help him because they just didn't want to help him, right? We don't know. But what we do know is that the Good Samaritan, the Good Shepherd, is here to heal us. The Good Shepherd is here to heal us. Because look at this. In verse 34, he went with him, he bandaged his wounds, and he poured oil and wine on him. The Amplified says this. He poured oil and wine on them to soothe and disinfect the injuries. This is important because Jesus mentions it, so it has to bear noting that wine heals the new wine that Jesus has for us is going to heal us. Our good Samaritan, no, our good shepherd is here to heal us. He's ready to pour his new wine over you to cleanse the wounds, to make the pain go away, to heal what the enemy has tried to rob from you if you let him. The oil would soothe. The wine would disinfect. See, the wine gets rid of, the wine purifies, the wine is so important with our communion with God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. New wine brings you into a closeness with Jesus like never before. 
That man on the side of the road that that good Samaritan helped, he had a relationship with a man he barely even knew, but compassion changed his life. So Jesus doesn't want you to not know about him. He wants you to know deeply, intimately about him and have a changed life. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. See, we can look at our past and either be bitter. Why did this happen? How come, how come this happened? Why, why did I have to go through this? Why did they leave me? Why did they hurt me? Why did I lose my job? You can look at your past and be bitter, or you can look at your past and be better. Lord, I feel like I'm in the fire, but I won't be burned. Lord, I know you, I feel like I'm, everything around me is on fire, but Lord, I know you are the fourth in the fire with me. I know because of you around me, Lord, I'm going to be in the fire. I'm not going to get burned. I'm going to be loose from what's been giving me bondage. I'm not even going to smell like smoke because you're with me in the fire. Lord, I know the enemy is trying to rob from me, but like your word says, when a thief is found, he must restore seven times what was stolen from me. Even if it means he's bankrupt, he has to give back seven times what he stole from me. So Lord, I know the enemy is trying to rob me, but you're going to avenge me, Lord, that you're going to make him pay back sevenfold what he tried to rob from me. Lord, I feel like I'm getting pressed, but I know you'll make wine from the pressing. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about the Last Supper. He talks about this, this communion that we should be having with the Lord. He says, and I know Pastor reads this all the time when we have communion. He says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. See, Jesus offered wine to the disciples to remind them and to instill upon them the new covenant that he has with them moving forward. They knew what, they knew what, the, what communion was. They knew what Passover was. It was something they celebrated, right? It was part of them leaving Egypt. But they always remembered Passover. Because it was that plague that, that pushed Pharaoh over the end that released them from captivity. So they always remembered about Passover. But Jesus is now using something that they've done in the past that they know very well and is giving them new revelation about it. He's saying, this wine that you're drinking is to remember me. This wine that you're drinking is to remember the covenant that you and I have because of the Father. This wine is changing your life. My mother-in-law teaches my son, Sammy, how to do communion, right? La Santa Cena for Spanish speaking. Did I do that okay? Did I say that all right? Thank you, okay, right? So he gets super pumped about it. It's the most, it's the most adorable thing. So she, she brings like the wafers and she, it's grape juice. It's not wine. I'm not giving my four-year-old wine. Don't be sitting there judging me, okay? Pastor Nick gives his son wine. I don't do that, okay? All right? But what happens, he, he knows, right? She teaches this. She teaches, okay, you, you kneel, you hold the bread, you hold the wine, and you pray. And I did this, we did it a couple nights ago. And the funniest thing happened, right? My mother-in-law's praying in Spanish, so I'm just praying for the Holy Spirit to interpret it to me as best as possible, right? As we're sitting there, I'm like looking, I'm like, okay, Lord, you can do this. I know you can do it. And I'm getting some words here. And so my son looks over to me. He has the, the wafer and the juice in his hand. He looks at me and he tries to do cheers with me with the wine, the wine cup. I'm like, shh, like, get back in real quick, right? But he knows the importance of, he knows the importance of communion. He looks forward to doing that. My mother-in-law gave him little glasses because he's a for Santa Cena. He, know, he knows what it's for. I'm so grateful that she helped him learn about that 
because that's something that God wants for all of us to know. He wants all of us to get excited about that communion that he wants to have with us, that fellowship that he wants us to have, because the wine symbolized the new thing, the new covenant, the new promise that Jesus was making with the disciples. It, it signifies the importance of the new promise that he's making with you and I. The blood. He, he says, this is, this is my blood. Do this. This is the new covenant in my blood because the, the blood that they were used to was a temporary covering of their sins. He says, this is the new blood. The new blood is a once for all covering and forgiveness of your sins. Pay attention to this. And the, in the Greek, the word as often as, right, means as many times as you need to. Do this as many times as you need to. As often as you'd like to, do it. Because there's nothing that I think the Father wants more than for us to be continually reminded of the relationship that we have with him because of what Jesus did. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. Luke, Matthew, and Mark, in their Gospels, they all, record, they all record this, Jesus having this Last Supper meal. Paul says it twice, here in another place in Scripture. Because, see, the Old, Old Testament, the old way of thinking, right, the, the I have to do to get God's goodness, right, I have to get myself right before I come to Jesus, that's Old Testament thinking. Every time they killed that animal, they made that sacrifice, it was a continual reminder of sin. Jesus is now saying, I want you to have a continual reminder of my once-for-all sacrifice for your sin. So no longer do I want you to feel condemned. I want you to receive the free gift of salvation, the free gift of grace that I'm giving to you. He's saying the Lord's Supper belongs to me. Now, this meal that you have, this wine that you're drinking, the fellowship, is to remind about the covenant, the promise that I'm giving to you, that once and for all your sins are forgiven. Don't beat yourself up about it anymore. I've taken it all. I've taken the penalty. I was in the place that you were supposed to be. I did that for you. Just receive it. The new wine that God wants for us needs, is to be a continual reminder of what Jesus did for us. That's what he wants. He wants a continual reminder. Because, you know, we can ask for forgiveness and be forgiven because of Jesus, right? We can, we can ask for forgiveness and know that we've been forgiven because of Jesus. That we can have hope for our future and forget our past because of Jesus. Because of the relationship that he's given to me. See, without, without him, I can't do that. I, I can receive the Father's love and forget any past rejection because of Jesus. I can empty myself and fill up with the new wine that he has for me because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and Lord, I thank you for the new things that you're going to do in our lives. Lord, I thank you for the new things that you're going to do, for the fresh starts, the, the new fruit, the new growth that you're going to produce in our lives. And Father, I pray right now that as we have this moment of just prayer between us and you, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit reveals things to us, that your Holy Spirit shows us new things, that gives us new revelation of, of what you want from us, Lord. Lord, you want us to grow and mature into the full stature of Jesus Christ, that you want us to be as much and as Christ-like as we possibly can. And it comes through us growing. It comes through us pushing ourselves. It comes through us getting rid of an old wineskin and being a new wineskin for the new thing that you want to do in our lives, Lord. 
Father, I ask that you prepare all of our hearts to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, as you keep praying, you know, we always, we always do this because it's the most important thing. The most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life is to make Jesus first. It's to say, yes, I, I can't do it on my own, but he did everything for me, and I need him. I can't get right with God on my own actions. I can't try to live a good life. It's not going to be good enough. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus paid the price for all of our sins. When you accept that, you become born again. You become a new creation in Christ Jesus. So we always like to extend this invitation to anyone that has never made Jesus the Lord of their life. If you've never done that, if you've never committed your heart to Jesus, we have a prayer that we're going to say with you. To everyone say, Jesus. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. See, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you are alive from the dead. Lord, live in me. Lord, work in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. If you like the content and want to get the word out about our podcast, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe wherever you listen. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit us at our website, christianfaith.center. God bless.